0: Welcome. It's good, to, it's good to see each one of you here. It's fun. Um, some of my favorite things throughout the week is uh, bumping into students in, our, in my classes with them. But it is especially fun to come here Friday night and get to see your faces and hear how your week's been going. And especially tonight, it's my privilege to be able to bring, bring, bring God's Word. And um, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9. This, this tonight, we're going to look at Matthew 9. The, the same story is in Luke 5 and Mark 2. So we're going to be flipping back and forth there tonight. Um, one of the things I think as is, I is study, I'm sure if, if, if you ever teach, if you have the opportunity to teach the Bible, it seems like as you're teaching, the Lord brings things into your life at that time to either humble you, or to maybe to show you more, um, maybe to give illustrations or something, I don't know. But uh, I was a little hungry right before this evening, and I figured I'd go down to Rose Hours and uh, get something to eat. And this evening we're going to be talking on judging people. And pretty much if you broke down this evening's devotional, it would uh, be two categories. Loving God loving others and before that can happen we need to look at our lives and ask do I do I correctly see myself do I see myself as self-righteous or do I see myself as a sinner who's been saved by grace so I'm driving down to Rose hours and I see this uh four-wheel drive jeep I think he was doing some brodies in the parking lot and he was up one where's that um, Skinner. Where's Anthony Skinner at? I got that from you. I think he was doing some um, spinning in the parking lot, and he got high-sided up on one of the curbs. And my first reaction was, uh, <laughs> serves him right. And then as I got closer, I realized what was going on. There, I took a picture of it, as you can see. Um, He's stuck up on top of an electric transformer and he's still in there and this is a half hour before I first felt convicted for laughing at him so I drove up I drove by and he's, there's this guy sitting in there and now I'm like feeling a little bit more serious about the situation and he's just sitting there and an electrician is walking across the road and he's waiting for them to turn off the power so that he can get out of his vehicle and now I'm thinking Ah, oh lord what a jerk me, And then the Lord, he brought this thought to my mind. You know, that is exactly, Andy, how you need to see yourself this evening. You are stuck. You cannot do anything unless you have my help. And I was looking at that guy's face in the car, and I was like, man, Lord, that, that is how I need to, to remember that I am. I need you, Lord, so much, because without you, I'm just stuck in the Jeep. So, the half hour passed by. I, I hope, if, if you're here this evening and that's you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I think the Lord brings this stuff into our life. And um, one of the things I pray for is humility. Stuff like that just totally reveals my own self-righteous heart. And how quick I am just to fall, to, fall into my sin. We're going to be looking at this more this evening. Um... Let's, why don't we pray, pray this evening together before we open up God's Word. Heavenly Father, you are always working. And you work in all these little situations, Lord. You use them as illustrations, Lord, to, to point out our own sinfulness. And you used silly things like icy roads, Lord, this evening just to, to remind me, man, I, I need you. How quickly I can judge people. And Lord, if it was not for your grace, I'd be in the ditch right now too. So thank you, Lord. And uh, as we open up your word this evening, I pray, Lord, we'd learn much of you. And um, you'd humble our hearts, and we would learn better about loving, loving you like you would have us to in loving others. Amen. Last week, we shared testimonies. That's one of my favorite things is to hear what God is doing in other people's life. And it's also, it's healthy for you to see that the Lord is working in other people's life, lives, and it's not just me or Tanner or Evan or some of these other guys. Like, God is working in so many people's lives right now. And it's, it's good to hear just different testimonies. Ours, but his. Is this mic okay, guys, or should I use another one? Okay. We're going to listen to another testimony this evening. Um, The testimony of the disciple Matthew. Matthew, um, who wrote the book of Matthew. In other accounts, he's been called... um, He's been called Levi, the son of Alphaeus. But this evening... We're going to be looking at Matthew and his account of himself and how he came to know the Lord. So let's turn together. Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a, one of the cool things about meeting down here is there's Bibles in front of every single person. That's exciting. Let's go ahead and start reading. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, "'Follow me.' So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, and behold, there were many tax collectors and sinners." And they came down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance." I think one of, especially to people who know that they wrestle with sin daily. And I am so aware that I am not perfect. Like in my marriage, I know I'm not perfect. I wrestle with sin. As a dad, I know I'm a sinner. And my kids, I mean, it, it's hard to apologize to a four-year-old. But I wrestle with sin. As a student, as a, when I'm working working with even with other people i am so aware that i mean i'm a sinner i am not perfect and that verse 913 for i did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance man it, that should be one of the most precious verses in the whole bible jesus christ did not come to call people who were perfect he came to call people who knew they needed Him. Who knew that every day they wrestle with this sinful flesh. And that's going to be the testimony that Matthew wants to share with you. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, I have come to call the righteous. Or, I have come to call those who are perfect. There would, there's not one person in here. Not one person that you know. Who would make the mark. We all wrestle with sin. And Matthew wants to share with us in his gospel. That Jesus came to call sinners. Not righteous people. But sinners to repentance. One of the things I'm teaching my son, Rhett, who's four. Is uh, we teach him. uh, some. We're trying to do some memory verses with him. We're going through. The week before they went on vacation last week. We were doing Romans 6.23. Anybody know what that is off the top of their head? I'm sorry, Romans 3.10 is the one I wanted to share with you. Romans 3.10. Anybody know what it is? There is no one righteous. No, not one. And I'll, I'll say to Rhett, I'll kind of quiz him. and I'll, I, Sometimes I'll use some of your names in here. And I'll say, uh, hey, Rhett, what about, what about Tanner? Is he righteous? think about it and be like, no, no, not one, Daddy. I was like, that's right, that's right, good job. And then I'll start to pull out the big guns and I'll be like, and we'll sit on the couch and I'm like, hey, Rhett, what about Pastor Brian? And he'll like, pause, no, not one, Daddy. What about me, Rhett? No, not one, Daddy. (laughs) He knows it, Joker. If anybody knows I'm a sinner, it's my family. But there is no one righteous, not one. And Jesus Christ came to save and to call sinners to repentance. Man, hang on to that this evening. That will cause you to love Christ if you remember that. Sometimes I wonder, as Christians, why we pretend that we're perfect. You ever notice that we we come together and we get plugged in, don't we, Chase? We get plugged into Bible studies. We get plugged into church. And we're like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. How are you? This is the best week of my life. I'm busy. I'm busy, but I'm good. And we just act like everything is kind of perfect, as if we don't wrestle with sin. We have a hard time being real with one another. And if you look at the people in the Bible, (laughs) you better listen. Consider Paul. Did Paul hide his sin? Was Paul real? First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.15. This is what Paul says. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Man. Paul, really? Of whom I am chief. And it's not was chief. It's who I am chief. Matthew won't hide his sin either. Matthew wants to know who he was, And if you read the accounts of Matthew, Luke, and um, Mark, Matthew's the only one in this story who gives his name, his well-known name. Like, it was common if you were to live in this part of the country to have two different names. A lot of the disciples had two different names. Matthew went either by Matthew or he went by Levi. The other two accounts of the Gospels, they mentioned the lesser-known Levi, but not Matthew. Matthew, he says here in chapter 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named me. Matthew, you guys have heard of me. I, I was Jesus' disciple. I walked with him. Matthew, that was me. And just to give you some context, Jesus has come up from Samaria He's going up to Nazareth. Three weeks ago, we looked at... Jesus goes to the different synagogues and He starts teaching. And the people are saying, what manner of man is this? He speaks with such authority. And we looked at our words. Words matter. Do you remember that? A week later, Jesus moves on. I believe it was to Capernaum. And Tanner drew out that his, as his disciples watched him, one of the things they couldn't help to notice was Jesus habitually drew away early, early in the morning. He always made time, and he prayed. He's right around that same area. He's by the sea. He's with his disciples, the ones he has so far. This is still pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. Pretty much the only disciples who are with him are probably Peter, James, Andrew, and John. And that's probably it. And he says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a, a man named Matthew. And Jesus is walking with his disciples, and the multi, he's teaching his disciples, and the multitudes are following. And he comes across this man named Matthew. Right away, Matthew owns it. He says, that was me. He should, he, I, I love that about him. Because that is our testimony, too. A lot of times we try to hide our past. We try to pretend that, it, that we talk, um, try to make things look better than they are. In Romans 5, but while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, while we were still weak and helpless, like a Matthew, like an Andy, <laughs> Christ died for us. Matthew, he wants to bring that right up front. Here I was, and man was I a sinner. And he says, I was sitting at a tax booth. And I think a lot of times we don't quite get the... When it says tax booth, it doesn't mean, Nate, what you're going to go to tomorrow and start to look over your taxes and, and maybe they'll pay you some and maybe you'll pay them some. Like a tax collector in this day, they were people who were hated. Not just because they had to pay taxes, but because of how they, had, how they extracted taxes from the people. And um, Matthew says, There I was, Matthew, I was sitting at the tax office, and Jesus walked up to me. Why did they hate tax collectors? First reason, the Jews believed... That, as a Jewish nation who followed God, that they should pay tithes to God and nobody else, so they did. but then they were under Rome, so Rome also taxed them. If they had Roman roads, they paid a tax. If there was a Roman bridge, they paid a tax. if there was if their wagon had uh, one axle, they paid that tax. If they had two axles they paid. Double the tax, like we do, tractor trailers. If you have more than one axle, if you have a trailer behind it, you pay more taxes. It was the same type of principle, and the Jews did not believe that they should be under that, so they hated tax collectors. The second reason that Jews could not stand tax, rec- tax collectors is because the people that Rome hired to collect the taxes was other Jews. It wasn't Roman citizens. You see, Jews would, would they'd get a, a Roman franchise. They'd set up a booth in a town, like a tax house, and they'd set it right near a major road, right where people would travel, and they would demand taxes from you. So when the Jews saw tax collectors, they saw them as traitors. Here are our own people getting money from us. Um. The third reason they hated tax collectors, it was, it was how they got it. Because Rome said, okay, for taxes, you pay this much. And if you bought a tax franchise, everything over that, men, you keep. So what it did is it encouraged dishonesty. So the taxes were high, but if I was to go up, I would say, you know, this is how much Rome wants and if I, if I get any penny over that that I get, I get to put in my pocket. Tax collectors were known as deceitful. A lot of times the rich would pay them off so they could pay less taxes. And the tax collector still had to make his quota. So what he, then he would do is he'd go to the middle class and lower class citizens. And he would extract even more taxes for them to make sure the quota was matched And then on top of that, Rome backed them up. Every practice they did, every deceitful way they'd get money, if you didn't pay it, the Roman government would use whatever force necessary and they'd back the tax collectors up. These men were hated. So the first branch was just your general taxes. And then there was a second branch. Matthew was a tax collector. The second branch was called a MOKES, mokhes, m o k h e s, And what that meant is a lot of times a Moches tax collector would set up a booth and they'd pay somebody to man the booth. And it was kind of the catch-all taxes. For instance, if you had a ship, if you had a fishing business, a MOCES tax collector would go, up to your ship, and he would say, "I see you have a ship here. Um, what do you use your ship for?" And the fisherman would be like, "I I got a fishing business. Okay, we'll chart. We're, we're going to tax your fishing business. Did you catch anything today?" Yeah, I caught a fish, bunch of fish. And uh, okay, we're going to tax you for them fish. And then on top of that, I see you're parked um next to this dock here. We're going to tax you for this dock here. And so they would compound taxes. This is what a mochus do. It would be all the, the, the catch-all taxes. Matthew says, And there I was, sitting at the tax office. The other Gospels draw out that, the, that this tax office was by the sea. It was strategically put right by the sea so he could catch fishermen. It was also put by the road so he could collect people from people who went by. Imagine... If you were at MSU, and um, you know the people who go around collecting parking tickets? Imagine if one of those was your fellow student. One of you, and they'd go up to your car, and they, 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 first they would give you a ticket for where you were parked. Even if it was okay, they'd still charge you. And then they said, you're going to have to open your car up. What for? Well, this is an MSU parking lot. So, we want to see, we have a right to see anything that is MSU in your car. So, they open up your car, they look inside. If you've got an MSU book, we'll tax that. If you have papers from the library, we'll tax that. If you, oh, where'd you get that pencil? That's from the library. Eh, Ten cents on that. And they, uh, a MoCAS tax collector could go through any, anything you had, private letters, to see if any of it was taxable. They, they had full reign to go through anything they wanted, and they did. Then there was an, another type of tax collector. The Jews added the word small, moches, to this. Because this type of tax collector, he was too cheap to hire somebody else. He would do it himself. He, had, he was not afraid what people thought of him. He just wanted the money, and he was too cheap to pay somebody. And so he personally would go right in, and he would tax you. And Matthew says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Matthew was a small mochus. He was the most hated type of tax collector in the area. Um, The Jews, um, the Jews believed that the tax collectors were morally uh, gone. There was no hope for them. The Pharisees would teach that there is absolutely no hope for a tax collector to receive forgiveness. They're liars. They're cheaters. They're deceitful. They're just gone. And they didn't want any part of them. They didn't want to be around them because they were kind of like dirty people that if you got too close to them, they'd rub off on you. And so the only people that tax collectors hung out with were other tax collectors and sinners. And this was Matthew. He was a tax collector, and he was at the bottom of the barrel. Um, Matthew wants you to know that. You know why? Because this is the kind of person that Jesus had come to call to repentance. Not the righteous, but the people who were dead in sin and who there was no hope for. And that's Matthew's testimony. He says, I was sitting at the booth, deceitfully collecting my taxes, robbing from people who were my own brothers, and here came Jesus. And I knew, he knew exactly where he was. And Jesus says to him in Matthew 9, 9, the same exact call that he offered others. He says, follow me. It's the exact same words he used for Peter, James, Andrew, and John. It's the call, not to just like, let's go on a hike and follow me around, but it is, I want you to follow me and be my disciple. I want to teach you. And I think a lot of times we picture the disciples like they're just kind of sitting there, and Jesus says, follow me, and they're thinking, well, you know, I got nothing better to do today. Sure, I'll, fo- I'll follow you. What Matthew had known. Can you imagine living in that day and age, being a public scandal, socially an outcast, and you knew that you deserved it? And then, not that long before, John the Baptist comes along and he's teaching, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Matthew knew the law, he knew God's word. And then shortly after that, here comes Jesus. And Matthew's watching all this happen. He's hearing about Jesus casting out demons, he's hearing about Jesus healing people. And more exciting than all of that and convicting is Matthew hears and sees that this man is forgiving sinners. Man, Matthew, he is under conviction. Here comes Jesus. He walks up and he says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. The other uh, says that he got up and followed him. If you look at, uh, I think it's Luke, it tells how he followed him. Luke 5, it says, He forsook all. You know what that means to a tax collector? He's got a Roman post. If you leave the post, you think you can just come back tomorrow? No way. Rome is not going to be losing money. When Matthew left the post, he forsook all, he left it all. That is a beautiful picture of what true Christian conversion looks like. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. To see Christ as better than anything you've got. To see Him as more valuable than anything you have going. To see Christ as, I would leave leave it all Christ if it meant following you. That's Matthew's testimony. He knew he was a sinner. He heard of Jesus. Jesus calls to him, and Matthew left it all. Later on in his gospel, he says... He records Jesus when he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And Matthew had a lot of money. If he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul. Matthew just left it. Man, I love that. Um, Matthew 9 and 10. Now as it happened, as Jesus sat on the, at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Do you see what Matthew's first response is to his conversion? Luke 5:29 says, "He threw a great feast." His first response is, "When he is forgiven and he follows Jesus," is, "I have got to tell my friends." And who were his friends? Other tax collectors. Other sinners. Other people that the Jewish community wants no part of. Other people that, even, even us sitting in here, we, we would, wouldn't have anything to do with them. Matthew throws a huge feast and he says, you've got to come and see this man that, I fo- that I'm following. This was Matthew's immediate mission field. I think sometimes we think of mission fields as like a someday type thing. Like someday I'll go someplace and be somebody for Christ. But Matthew saw that his mission field was the people that God had put in his place right then. Like don't overlook, don't overlook who God has put beside you. Who, who you live with. Who you hang out with every day. Like that, that's where God sovereignly has you. If you're a Christian, that is your mission field. That's what Matthew did. He threw a great feast. He got them all to come in. He used his money, bought him a bunch of food, and said, you've got to hear this guy. Um, who has God already put in your, in your path? I'd like to stop here and consider Jesus for a second. Because really tonight, as we look at the Word tonight, there's two things that I'd like you to think of. I'd like you to love as we see God's Word and we see ourselves like our love for Christ to increase because we realize who we are. But secondly, as we look at Jesus, we see that His love for sinners was amazing. It's totally unlike me, especially me in my flesh. But being a Christian is about loving Jesus and loving others. And loving others doesn't necessarily mean the people you want to hang around with. It's the people that God has put around you. It's so easy to love people who are like me. It's just natural. But you know the people who are hard to love? The ones that you aren't comfortable being around? That's who Jesus is hanging out with right here. There is nothing in it for Jesus for the people he hangs around. And a lot of times the people I hang around with or I want to hang around with, it's because there's something in it for me. It's because they're parents, and they, maybe they got money, or maybe they're part of this team and they'll make me look this way, or, or maybe they know this person, and if I get to know, you, you know how we play these games? A lot of times our friendships have to do more about me than it does to do with them. You look all throughout the gospel, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, people who were demon-possessed. He was hanging out with lepers, people who nobody would touch because they were afraid of getting dirty, not only with disease, but also then they couldn't go to the temple. People who were sick, people who were handicapped. We studied Samaritans. He hung out with the rich. He hung out with the poor. He even hung out with Pharisees. The Pharisees said of him, Jesus, you you are no respecter of person. And they were so right. Like Jesus didn't look at a person, what was in it for them. He looked... He loved people because they, he knew they wanted and needed forgiveness of their sins. Man, that is, that, that is just not like me in my flesh. Um, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want to be like that also. It's also important to notice in Mark 2.15, when Mark gives his account, it says, And they followed him. See, not only did Jesus just hang out with them, and what do you think they talked about? You think they just sat around and talked? I don't think so. Earlier in the Gospels, it says Jesus came and He preached repentance. I guarantee He was talking to these people who knew they needed a Savior, who knew they were in sin, and He lovingly shared the Gospel with them, the good news. And it says many followed. So here's my question. Who do you hang out with? And then secondly, what do they say of you? Like, do they love you? And here's what I mean. Not that we do things to make people love us, but is your reputation as a Christian. You go up to a person and they walk away. Man, that guy sure was a jerk. Or he sure was, you know, how arrogant. Or, you know, he, he, he didn't even listen to me. Like, Jesus gave them the truth uncompromisingly, but he loved them. And some of them rejected him totally. Think of the rich young ruler. Jesus told him the truth. The rich young ruler rejected him. And it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Like, he still loved him, even if people rejected him. Like, can people say that of me? That I, I loved them, and they totally disagreed with what I said, but there was something different about that guy. He was genuine. Is that your testimony with the people you bump into? That was Jesus' reputation, and I love that, and they followed him. All these people, Matthew came, these sinners, and they followed him. Let's go to Matthew 9:11. We're going to kind of flip the coin here. It says, And when the Pharisees saw it, when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And don't here think that this is a, um, like the Pharisees are innocently like, like trying to ponder. Like, why, why, why are you eating here? Don't you know these guys are tax collectors? What they're doing is being very deceitful. They're being very manipulative. I want to show that to you. But if you don't know, the Pharisees, they're supposed to be, supposed to be the spiritual leaders. They're supposed to be the, the spiritual doctors of the day. They knew the Word of God better than anybody. They had it memorized. They just missed the intent of it. But they knew they could, they could quote it all day long. They were, if you will, the pastors of the day, that day. They were the Bible study leaders of that day. They looked so good. They looked perfect. They they looked flawless on the outside. They had all the the answers, it seemed. I want you to read with me Matthew Matthew 23. Skip over a couple chapters. Matthew 23, Jesus reveals their heart. On the outside, they look so good. Matthew 23, we'll start with verse 4. This is what Jesus says of them: For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay on the, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move, one, uh, move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogue. They love greetings in the marketplace and to be called men by men. Rabbi, Rabbi. You see, it looked good, but their hearts were dark and dead. They, they knew the word up here, but it had no effect on their heart. So what they would do is they would, they would pray out loud. One of the things a Pharisee would do is he would go out into a public place and without bending his knees, he'd put his hands flat in the floor. He'd bend straight over, and a whole bunch of people were around, and they knew the Pharisee was praying now, so they all would kind of awkward moment. And then he would start to pray. And you remember one of the prayers that Jesus talked about? The Pharisee's standing beside a tax collector, and he says, God, thank you so much that I'm not a tax collector. They were just so full of themselves. They loved going to a banquet. And they'd always reserve the special seat for the Pharisee. Here comes, here comes the man of God. Better sit him here. They loved special praises. Everybody would stop and get real quiet and listen to them. They loved the praise of men. And I, you know, I was as I'm before I judge the Pharisees too quickly. A lot of times, what I see in them. My own fleshful heart wants the same exact thing. Man, I love it when I hear somebody, my flesh loves it when I hear somebody praising the name of me. You know what what that's like? You hear somebody talking about you and they don't know you're listening and you're like, (laughs) or somebody like they have a special, we saved a seat for you. Man, your flesh just loves that pharisées loved that and that that is what they lived for men's approval i see that in my own heart sometimes it irritates me to no end you know you know that battle like on one hand you're like you kind of like it but on the other hand you're like god help me i am such a sinner it's that wrestling match back and forth this is what the pharisees lived for and then on top of that they would call the shots on other men like the tax collectors and if they deemed you unclean, if they said that you can't go into the temple, they could throw you out of the synagogue, how are you going to get forgiveness? The only way is to bring your sacrifices to the temple. And if they said you can't come in, sorry. So here's Jesus, okay? Oh, and by the way, there's this huge party. And guess who's not invited? The Pharisees. Pharisees. Well, Maybe they're invited, but... Everybody's following Jesus, not them. So you know this is kind of a shot to their pride. And so Luke 5.30, another account, it says um, they complained to the disciples. The first thing we see about self-righteous people like the Pharisees is they're cowards. Rather than going straight to Jesus and saying, you need to explain something to us here. These guys are tax collectors, they're cheaters, they're liars, they deceive people, they're unethical. Why are you eating with them? They don't go straight to Jesus. They go to the disciples and they begin to complain. The disciples have only been with Jesus for maybe a couple weeks. They're they're baby Christians. And think about who the disciples were at that time. There's probably only four of them. Five now, Matthew. Peter, James, Andrew, and John. What did they do for a living? They were fishermen. They had a fishing boat. What do you think the reputation between, the possible reputation between fishermen and Matthew were? Do you feel that tension right there? Like, maybe it wasn't Matthew, but I guarantee that many a time, there was a tax collector who had walked on to Peter's boat and said, Peter, where'd you get these nets from, buddy? He's like, well, I got them over here. I'll take some of that and I'll tax you for your boat and I'll tax you for these fish. I'll tax you for this dock. And the Pharisees go up to the disciples and they, they, they begin to complain. Why does your master eat with these tax collectors? I mean, come on now, guys. Don't you remember Do you see how they're deceiving? This is what self-righteous people do. Rather than asking honest questions, they pick out people who maybe don't know Scripture that well. Or they pick out people who maybe they're young in their faith. And they start asking these deceptive questions. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They go to the ex-fisherman. The second thing, the third thing, is they're totally blind. The, disciples, or the Pharisees are totally blind to their own self-righteous pride. You remember, Jesus points out they're praying in the marketplace, in public places. Lord, thank you that I'm, I'm, I'm not a sinner like these Pharisees, like these tax collectors. They're totally blind that they're full of pride. Which is just as worse, and if not the root of all sins. And they are just wrapped up in it. In John 7, the Pharisee, a Pharisee invites Jesus over for dinner. Do you remember this? He invites Jesus over for dinner. And while they're eating, and by the way, the Pharisee doesn't offer any customary... Um, Any of the customs to Jesus. He doesn't wash his feet, doesn't greet him, doesn't do anything. And he's sitting there, and this woman comes in. And most likely she's a prostitute, and she is broken because everybody knew she was a sinner. And she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And all that she wants is freedom from sin. She just wants forgiveness. And the Pharisee says in his heart, if this man knew the manner of woman. And, John, and Jesus says to him, do you see, and this is what exact Jesus' words, do you see this woman? See, that's the problem. Pharisees didn't, they couldn't see. Here is a woman who wants to repent. Here are tax collectors that are, want to repent. And all the Pharisees could see was their own arrogant pride. They're totally blind. Self-righteous people, are all they can think about is themselves and how this makes them look and, and the, the angles. And they're totally overlooking. They're not seeing this lady here, these tax collectors here. They're blind. Um, let's move on. Oh, also think about this. Think about how blind they are. Here's a bunch of tax collectors, a bunch of rotten tax collectors who are following Jesus. And maybe some of them are going to become good tax collectors now, honest tax collectors. Pharisees don't care one bit. All they can think about is, why is he eating with the tax collectors? They're totally blind. And then in in Matthew 9, 12, and 13, it says, when Jesus heard that, I don't know how he heard it, maybe Peter Or John came up to Jesus and they're like, hey, there's um, Bartholomew, the the Pharisee, is asking us some really tough questions about uh, why we're eating with these guys. And I don't know what to say. So why are we eating with these guys? And Jesus says, when he heard that, and I love this because Jesus is such a shepherd. He takes care of the sheep and he totally confronts the wolves those who are going in there and trying to, to pull those who are weak, pull them out of fellowship, and he confronts them head on. And he, Jesus, in his wisdom, he hits them so appropriately where they're struggling with. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, First, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So what's What's he saying? Here's the Philistines. <laughs> I keep saying the Philistines. The Pharisees. Philistines are off to the south. Don't worry about them. The Pharisees um, The Pharisees are supposed to be the spiritual doctors. They're supposed to be the ones who are taking care. They have God's word. They're supposed to be taking care of the people. Rather, all they're doing is they're diagnosing problems. Imagine if you, go to, if you went to a, the doctor's office for a rash. And you go into the doctor's office, and the doctor's like, oh, that is one ugly rash you have. That's disgusting. I mean, where did you pick that up from? Get out of my office. And the next person comes in, and the doctor's like, ew, you, you are disgusting. What, your nose, look at it, it's like running. You need to get out of here. And, and all they would do is diagnose problems. But they never, they never gave you any medicine. In fact, they told you to get out because they were afraid that they were going to catch the cold. See, the Pharisees, they're the spiritual doctors. They're the leaders. And Jesus says, I've come to not to those who are well because they don't need a doctor. I'm actually helping those who are sick here, What you're supposed to be doing. And then the second thing he does but let me, let me back up a second. Let's reflect on that for a second. How do you treat others? Like, what type of words do you speak to others? Do, are the words that you talk to others, are they condemning? Are you very good at pointing out other people's sin? And you know, there is a time when we need to... James 5 says, you need to, you need to talk to a brother who's in sin... And if you do, and when you do, you will save him from a multitude of sins. You'll, eventually, you'll save him from death, too. We do talk to people. But do you use healing words? Or do you just diagnose problems? I, you, know, you know, so quickly in our minds, we can just snap, make a judgment. But we're so slow to speak words of healing, words of Scripture. Pray with people we're very slow with that but we're very quick to do what the Pharisees do and just diagnose the problem the second thing and i'm also amazed is jesus is not afraid to get dirty he's not afraid to get right in there and work with people who need healing then jesus says but go and learn what this means that phrase there but go and learn what this means was a rabbinical phrase that means go read your bible and study and you're going you need to you need to see what this means it's what the rabbis would use jesus said to them but go and learn what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice and when he said that he took them back in their history to hosea 6 he says but go and learn what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice hosea was a prophet in the old testament god told him Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And so Hosea obeys God and he loves her. He falls in love with this woman and she leaves him for another man. She goes back to prostitution. And God says, Hosea, I want you to go not only take her, but you have to buy her because she is owned. She had sold herself into prostitution. And he says, go and love that woman And buy her out of it, just like I've done for Israel. You see, the the Pharisees' history was not perfect. The Israel nation, they were God's people and God loved them. But again and again, they left. They left God and God, come back to me. And if the Pharisees could remember this, how God is so merciful He's so kind. Shouldn't we be the same way? But the, mercy, but the, the Pharisees, in, rather than showing mercy, all they would do is, I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees were, were so busy with doing godly things. They, they had a clothes that made them look extra godly. They sacrificed all the time. Everything they did looked good, but to people who needed mercy, they had none for. In Amos, um, where is it? Amos 521, God says, I hate and I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies, Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I won't accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like the water and the righteous like a a mighty stream. You see, the Pharisees... Their outward appearance is they're doing things for the Lord. And God says, I don't want any part of it. Take your sacrifices. They smell because your heart is not in them. And your songs, they're racket. I don't want to hear them because you're just singing before men and not before me. When you should be merciful, you're too busy living before men. That's, um, that's a good question for us as Christians is first, are we quick to show mercy or are we quick to condemn? Has our theology, what we're learning, has it made it through our thick skull and changed our heart so that we are soft-hearted to other people? A lot of times, and especially if you have taken classes, going to Sunday school classes, you've been to church your whole life, You know the scriptures and you know them well enough that you can point out sins in my life and sins in in other people's lives, but it has no impact on your heart. You're very good at diagnosing, but when you should be merciful, when you should be loving, God says, I don't want your sacrifices. Your songs are noisy. Take them away. That is very convicting to me. And then thirdly, Jesus wraps up and he says, For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That phrase right there, that is the point of this whole passage. Like Matthew, as a Jew, has tailored his testimony for this point. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Does anybody have the New Living Translation? I like how it's worded. It says, I have, not, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who, are, who know they are sinners. I have, not, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who, who know they are sinners and the Pharisees, they saw themselves as perfectly righteous. It showed in the prideful and an arrogant way, they treated others. And as a consequence, as a consequence of their own self-righteousness, they had no use for Jesus. What, what good is Jesus if I'm already fine? And on the flip side, Jesus had no use for them. Jesus says, I didn't come to call you anyways, because you think you're fine. Final thoughts. Um, I'd like to ask you two questions. Do you love Jesus, and do you love others? And it shows this way. You know how James says, um, faith without works is dead? Faith doesn't, or Works do not save you. But they do say something about your faith, and they say something about your heart. How do you treat others? Are you self-righteous? Are you quick to point out wrong in others? Are you afraid of getting dirty by others? You know, a lot of times, um, a conviction I have is I'll be, I'll be in the grocery store or on campus or someplace, and I'll see a person who I'm not naturally inclined to hang around for some reason. You know, these people, we feel like they're awkward or they feel like they, they just, they don't. I don't <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, I think. And right away in my heart, this is what comes, comes into my head. Andy, that's exactly who Jesus would have loved. And man, that, that is so convicting to me. When you, you see these people who you wouldn't have the time of day for. Andy, that's, that's who Jesus would have loved. Because a lot of times, we'll approach the people and we are at the root of it. Our own self-righteousness, we're afraid to get dirty so we don't hang around them, or we want what they have so we do hang around them. That's not, that's not how Christian, a person who is living by the Spirit, Loves other people. Not a forgiven sinner. You know why? Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, it'd be me. Up on the electric box, sideways in the snow, waiting for the electric man and the policeman to get me out. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be where I'd be sitting. Secondly, Do you love Jesus? The Pharisees didn't love Jesus. Why? They had no use for Him. They thought they were good enough. Um, Self-righteous people have little to no use for for Jesus. And Jesus says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And on the other hand, forgiven sinners, people who, who know they are rotten and rotten to the core... And they find out who Jesus is, the God-man who came to forgive sins, and their love increases. And Jesus said to that Pharisee when he was over his house for dinner, Do you see this woman? And then later on in the passage, he says, He who has been forgiven much, consequences, he loves much. That's why God gave us a memory. Do you remember who you are? And when you do, it should cause you to love Jesus all that much more. When you think of grace, God's free, God's, I want to be careful, Andy. Free is a funny word. Taylor, we were having a great dis- discussion. There was a price that had, my sin is a debt. The debt was paid. Okay? And we look at Christ and we say, I want to live like that. And this this whole year, we've been challenging you. Here's Christ. Walk like Christ. Okay? You can't. Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why? Because you're sinners. You are inwardly bent. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Even your good works, guys, in your flesh, you want some reward. That's why we see on TV Hollywood, like reaching out to countries and stuff. They want reward. And sometimes Christians are the same way. Because apart from me, you you can do nothing. You just keep, you do something good And you hope for men's praise. That's why Christ died on the cross. He paid the debt for our sin so that those who are in Christ are a new creation. And for the first time in their life, they can love people and not for themselves. They can love people. Why? Because they see I see that you are a sinner. Man, I'm a sinner. I've been forgiven. You need to meet Christ. Forgiven people love other people. Forgiven people, they love Christ. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. The more truly I see myself as a sinner, and I do, I wrestle with it every stinking day. The only thing that trumps this is where sin abounds, grace abounds. Thank you, Jesus. You paid the debt. Otherwise, I got nothing. I got nothing at all. Jesus summed up, how did he sum up the whole law? Two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God, loving others. And this is, this is what Matthew, his point, in this, in this passage here. We're going to close up here. I'm going to ask the guys in a couple minutes here to come up and lead us in worship, lead us in some more singing. But uh, let's pray. What I'd like you to do this evening, just take a couple minutes um, in quiet, reflect, Ask yourself two questions. Do I love people? Is it evident in my life? And if it is, praise the Lord. If it's not, why not? And then, secondly, is Christ my trophy? Is he more valuable than anything else? Would I be willing to leave it for him? And if not, why not? A lot of us, we need to really think about our self-righteous condition. Scripture says there is no one righteous, no, not one. Um, Evan, after a few minutes, if you could just lead us in some singing. Thank you, bud.